Anybody here remember November 1962? You don't. You don't. I bet you don't know how to spell it. November 1962. It was a period of time in which I graduated from high school in June of 1962, by the skin of my teeth. And uh, because I, I graduated from high school and by the skin of my teeth, and, and I got myself all upset about having to go to college, which I imposed on myself. I, my parents didn't force me to think about college, but I thought I had to go to college because that's what you did. I got sick. I got sick over that summer. I got down to 125 pounds because I was so sick, and it was all up here. They checked me. It wasn't any place in my body. It was right up here. And so November 1962, I was in Lackland Air Force Base. <laughs> oh, man. In the Air Force in basic training. And I hated it. I wished I'd gone to college. That's what I wished I'd done. But I was in Lackland Air Force Base in basic training, and I have no good memories of that except one. And the one memory I have is marching, of all, of all things. Marching along with I don't know, hundreds, maybe thousands of other troops out on these parade grounds and marching. And I don't know if you've ever marched. Maybe in a, in a marching band you've marched or maybe in some other setting you've marched. But there is something about marching in step with other people, especially when there's large numbers of them, that is really exhilarating and it's unifying. And I'm sure it's why people in the service march because they want to be unified and they want to have that sense of being together in something. It's very, very exciting. Now, you, you know, obviously, we would have a drum and bugle corps or just a drum corps or a band or something that was sounding out the beat. And you know, we were supposed to start on our left foot and on the, then our right foot and then our left foot and then our right foot. And everybody was supposed to be in the same, same foot. And <laughs> after a while of doing it, we got to be able to do that because we could figure out what was left and what was right and we could do it at the same time. But it was powerful to look across this entire field of, uh, and marching ground parade ground where you could see all these men and women marching left, right, and they were doing it together, and you could see that. It was very, very exciting. But imagine what it would be like if you had two bands, or, or you had two drum corps. Imagine thousands of people out on a parade ground trying to march, and there are two. Now, easy when they're playing the same tune, isn't it? Yeah very hard when they play a different tune. Imagine, if you will, John Philip Sousa's Stars and Stripes Forever with one, but Taylor Swift's Shake It Off with the other. <laughs> See, you know what I mean, huh? And we were just starting out. I mean, we had a hard time finding out which was left foot and which was right foot. So to get it together, when you have two opposing sounds going through, two opposing tempos, two opposing bands or drum beats going, <laughs> it just... You have to choose one or the other, don't you? Choosing your drummer, that's what I want to talk about this morning. Choosing your drummer, because I think that's what, it like, that's what it's like in a, in a uh, culture where you are a part of the world and, and you necessarily have to be a part of the world and you can't withdraw yourself from the world, but you're trying to follow after Jesus at the same time. And things going on in the world are opposed to what Jesus wants so you end up in this place where you're hearing these two different drum beats. And what do you do? You have to choose what drum beat you're going to follow. You have to choose. Now, that's not easy. That's hard. Because there's a dominant sound that comes from the world's drum. And there's a strong sound that comes from 
Jesus drum, but there's some sense in which maybe it's the way you turn. I'm not sure exactly what does it, but it seems like one of them gets louder than the other one, and you're more inclined to follow one than the other one from time to time, but you still have to choose. That's what holiness is all about. That's what this uh, idea of being set apart is all about that Clay has taken through uh, a series of messages on holiness and what it means to be set apart. And what we did, because I was here last week, what we did last week, if you were here, you might remember that we went to look at an Older Testament hero by the name of Noah, who made some tragic mistakes at the end of his life, no doubt about it. But, but prior to that time, he made some wonderful decisions about following after the right drumbeat and the right drummer. And he got in step with the right drummer. And God used his life to the saving of many people and, and to the change that took place in the world around him. Today we're going to a different drummer, and this is a continuation, maybe another illustration of what it means to live in the world, but to try to follow after the living God, after the Lord Jesus, and to hear that drumbeat clearly and decide when you're, when you're going to go to the right or to the left and what step you're going to take next. Very difficult. In fact, there's really two issues that are involved when you talk about that subject. One is uh, recognizing the different drumbeat, because sometimes they can sound awfully much alike, can't they? And in fact, sometimes they are the same. Sometimes in the world in which we live, you have the same drum beat. You may have two drums, you may have two drum, drum and bugle chorus, but you still, they're playing the same tune, so it isn't so hard. But when they begin to diverge and go in different directions, that's when it becomes difficult, and that's where the challenge is. And we're really dealing with the idea of recognizing the difference in the drum beat, number one, and then, and this may be harder, harder finding the courage to go in the direction that you need to do and follow the drumbeat that belongs to the living God. The man we're looking at today is the man by the name of Daniel. And I want you to turn, if you have your Bible or if you have your phone and you want to turn there, to Daniel, the first chapter. I want to read that entire chapter, in fact, because it's such an important picture of how to do this. So it's Daniel chapter 1, and I'm reading from 1 through 21 of that chapter. Third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief officials gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king was assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accord with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kind. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel, in some sense, was marching to a different tune, a different drummer, a strange tune because of what had happened in his life. Daniel at this time is captive in the land of his enemies. Israel had been besieged many times before this time, and there had been skirmishes. The Babylonians had, had come to defeat them. The northern kingdom of Israel, and this is the southern kingdom of Judah, I should really call it, the northern kingdom of Israel had been taken captive before this time. Now it's Judah and Jerusalem, what we usually think of when we think of Israel in that area of Jerusalem. Well, the Babylonians are now in charge. They're the dominant empire, and they have come many times to the uh, area of Jerusalem, and they have attacked it. So there have been skirmishes all along the time. In 586, 587, the city would fall, and it would be destroyed, and so would the, the, the temple in Jerusalem, and the people would be taken away from the city, or they would just have to live there in poverty and, and squalor. This, what we're talking about here, has happened probably about 20 years before that destruction of the city of Jerusalem, where some of the people have been taken captive. They haven't destroyed the city, they haven't leveled it, but what they've taken is successive waves of captives back to the land in Babylon, in Babylonia, the capital of Babylon. And Daniel and his friends are among those, and they come from the upper ranks of the society of, of uh, Israelites living in the area of Jerusalem and Judah. They're going to live in that land, from what we can tell by the dating, probably 70 years. But they're very young when they go there, maybe 15 years old. Maybe less than that, we don't have a direct date on that. But very young men, these four men who are mentioned in chapter 1. Now chapter 1 tells us something else that's really important, and that is that Nebuchadnezzar, when he came with his armies in 587-586, he took not only captives, destroyed the city, but he took the articles of worship from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and he took them back to the temple of his God, thereby saying the temple and the God of Jerusalem was nothing compared to the God and the temple of, of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylonia. So it's not only the Israelites and their army are weak, but it's also the God of Israel that is impotent and can't defend his people. So what we're talking about here is a major blow to the morale of the people of Israel. And in fact, you would expect that to leak down into the lives of all the people because that adds a whole new chapter to the story. And in fact, as I say that, I can't help but be amazed 
at the sense of identity that these four young men had. 15, 16 years old. Who knows what, what the age was, but it was not old. But yet these men, these boys, these teenagers, these, these teenagers, think of your teenagers here at uh, Renaissance or in your home. Think of your teenagers and what they're doing when they're 13, 14, 15. No, you, you don't want to think of that. So don't cancel that. You don't, I don't mean to ask you to do hard things right now. You don't have to think of it. No, imagine. Imagine what it's like to be 13, 14, 15 years old. Doesn't this strike you as amazing that these four men could make their decision, that's what they're acting like, men, these are not just boys, these boys who are teenagers are acting like men, they make their decisions based on a drumbeat that has been brought to them by somebody, by somebody. And I'm, I'm really talking to parents when I talk about this. Uh, because I personally am encouraged. I've got grandkids now. My kids have made their decisions in life, some good, some bad decisions, I guess, but now my grandkids, seven years old and four years, they're in this formative period of time and they're making their decisions, and sometimes I feel like the world that's changing around us is, is so overwhelming that I can't keep up with it, nor can I train my kids. Yes, I can. My grandkids, and you can train your kids too. What happened was that there were enough stubborn in a good sense, Jews who are in that land, captive likewise, who built into their kids the convictions that they'd come away from God's word with and God's calling with in such a consistent manner that these four teenagers acting like men say no to the other drumbeat. I'm, I'm amazed by it. Uh, you may know from history that the synagogue system uh, started during this time. Synagogue means... Uh, to come together, to gather together, suna and argo gay, two Greek words brought together. And what it meant was that these people who were in the diaspora, they were out of Jerusalem and Judah, they had to get together so that they could build each other up and help each other deal with the circumstances that they found themselves in, in a foreign land where they had been taken captive and they were subject to the, to the desires and the whims of the, of the king in that land. And the, the major lesson that comes out of that for me is that we can do it, but we have to do it together. And, and, and one of our politicians has said that it takes a village. And I agree, if you define that, it takes a village of faith to raise your kids in the fear and, as the older translation says, admonition of the Lord. So friends, I, I, just a pause here, um, because I'm convinced that we've got to hear this message that what God has meant for parents to have is other people who are linked together with them in a common cause to raise kids who know the Savior the same way they know them and to make the decisions of their lives concerning the drumbeats that they hear, they hear make them uh, in accordance with the drumbeat of God. Parents, you need each other. You really do. Parents at Renaissance Church, you've got to link arms. You can't do this alone. It's not going to happen alone. The only way you have a chance in a, in a culture that is against you is by linking arms. Uh, let me just say that. I've seen that happen enough. When I was a young Christian, I can remember Christian parents in the Soviet Union trying to raise their kids in a, in a clearly stated atheistic country where 
uh, Christians were either marginalized or were persecuted. And I was always amazed when I saw those parents getting some sense of togetherness out in the woods if they had to, in quiet and distant places where they couldn't be seen and persecuted, and they would encourage each other. It's happening today in North Korea. It's happening today in many parts of the Middle East, and you know it is. Don't fool yourself. We need that being together and encouraging each other as much as those people in those distant lands. We can do it together. That's where, David, or that's where Daniel finds himself. Now, now he, he's in a place where he is captive. He has to do what other people say uh, up to a limit. And in fact, some of the time, the, the, the drumbeat that he hears is okay, and there's no problem with that. But then he hears some other drumbeat that's, that's not good. Not so strange. Not so strange. Theologians talk about something called common grace. I don't know if that's a common phrase to you, but common grace simply means that there is a, a knowledge and an understanding that God has spread across the world. Uh, to men and women, wherever they are, whatever their faith is, there is this common body of knowledge in terms of uh, places we can share with each other and with people outside our faith. Um, that's why I can come to somebody else to seek their knowledge in terms of medicine or their, their knowledge in terms of uh, community development or in their knowledge in terms of, uh, of uh, how, to, how to structure a family and build a family. I can get wisdom from my friends who are not from the same faith in, in all kinds of areas, how to take care of people and, and how to govern. And so there's lots of times when I found myself linking arm in arm with people who are not of the same faith, in fact, don't have any faith whatsoever, and that's okay because I can do that. It's not so strange that Daniel would find himself at home in some sense in Babylon. And it's not so strange that you would find yourself in some sense at home in the United States of America or whatever country you're from because there is a common language. There is something called common grace, and it's spread among people wherever they are, regardless of their faith, and they're walking with God, and I need that. But what we have here is, in Daniel chapter 1, is one man doing it. And I say doing it, he is in the midst of this setting where he is hearing two drummers, and that's what I want to get to. He's hearing two drumbeats. One is opposing to what God says. The other one is in favor of what God says. And what Daniel has to do is he has to figure out which one he's going to be uh, following after. Now, let's not minimize this. Daniel is being recruited. And he's being recruited by Harvard and Yale and uh, West Point all at the same time. And they all want to give him a scholarship. And they want to give him a full ride. West Point, you get it anyway. But the other two, you get a full ride. We'll pay for your tuition. We'll pay for your books. We'll pay you for your uh, room and board, we'll pay, we'll pay for your activities, your leisure time. You just have to come on in. Maybe it's a Babylonian campus of uh, Harvard or Yale or West Point, but think of it in those terms. This is an opportunity not to be dismissed, not to be lost. I mean, Daniel and his friends, they can see themselves in places where they can influence Babylon. And they can take care of their people back home. And they can make a difference. That's heady stuff. That's an opportunity not to be missed. That can't be taken lightly. What the king of Babylon has done is what other kings did in that time, is they would take the people from their conquered lands 
and then they would bring them back and they would educate them in the way of the victor's culture and language and legal system and medical system, and then they would repopulate the area. And that's exactly what happened in the northern kingdom of Israel. Assyria, which was the dominant empire at the time, took the people of Assyria, they took them back to their home of Nineveh in, in Assyria, and they trained them, and then they sent them back, and they had them mingle in terms of producing families and children with the uh, men and women of Assyria. So what they ended up with back in Israel in the northern land is a name that you've heard of before, haven't you? Samaritans. And the reason why the people in the south didn't have respect for the people in the north is because they were mixed with the people of the conquering nation and they were repopulated. So what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here is he's taking these young men who show promise and he's sending them to Harvard and he wants to train them in the ways of Babylon so that eventually they and their children can go back to the land of Israel. Oh man, Daniel doesn't want to blow this because it has all kinds of promise for good. And if Daniel and his, his friends just get through this thing, then they can make all kinds of difference in the kingdom of Babylon. And if they can make a difference in the kingdom of Babylon, think of what they can do for their people Israel. Hardly any of them back in Jerusalem by this time, but there will be more because they'll be sent back there. They don't want to blow this. But there's a problem. And the problem is they have to eat from the king's table. I... <laughs> I'd love to eat from the king's table. You? It's the best food. It, I mean, it's good for you. It tastes good. It's wonderful. But Daniel and his friends are kosher. And I don't know if the word fits exactly because what they really appear to be is vegan. And the food that's being offered by the king, Nebuchadnezzar, as a part of the agreement is, no, no, you've got to eat this food and this food has all kinds of good food. It's all kinds of steaks and chops and, and potatoes and rice and desserts and wine. And well, what could be wrong with that? Give me a choice between steak and eggs and, and uh, rice and beans. Now, if rice and beans is your favorite, that's fine with me. I'd rather have the steak and eggs, okay? Well, that's the choice they have. You, you can eat this food, and if you eat this food, then you're enrolled for three years, and after three years, you're going to be promoted out of this, this training time, and you're going to be on the top. You're going to, be in, you're going to be working your way up to the top of the ladder, and you're going to have all kinds of advantages and do the right things. That's where he hears the different drummer. You've got the drummer over here that says, okay, this is common. We can, we can do this. We can go and be trained in the legal system. We can, we can uh, understand the, the medical system. We can, we can do the language thing. We can do the culture thing. But we can't do the food thing. Drummer here, drummer there. And what they have to do is they have to choose. They have to choose. And so do you. And so do I. I gave my heart to Jesus Christ back in 1966, June 8th, 1966 in Japan in the dormitory or the barracks where I was in the Air Force. And I gave my heart to Christ there and my life changed. And it's never been the same since then. What I'm required to do whenever I come to these, 
these forks in the road in the culture in which I live, whatever that fork defines itself as, is I have to choose. There's lots of times when I can walk down the same road with everybody else, but then there's other times when I have to say, no, I can't go any further down that road. I have to go off to this road because I hear the drummer of my heart and my soul is leading me down this road, and I have to make decisions that will be in accordance with the drummer over here. Even though people will make fun of me, and even though I may lose my, my position, and even though I won't seem to be very smart, I, I still have to hear that drummer, and then I have to have the courage to go down that road. Boy, I mean, this is really difficult. But that's what Daniel and his friends had to do. Does the food really matter? No, not really. But obedience to God does. So this is not a food issue that we're talking about here. This is a God issue. And whether or not I'm going to follow after the God of my Savior, Jesus Christ, or I'm going to follow after the other one. And you and I don't have the same food restrictions, obviously. I, I know that, so that doesn't apply to us in terms of this. But there are other restrictions and there are other boundaries, aren't there, that you and I have because we say, I'm going to follow after Jesus. I, I need honesty when the culture applauds dishonesty. You know? That's just one of those lines in the sand where the drummers diverge and they go different directions. Uh, fidelity when people choose infidelity. Respect when the culture applauds disrespect. Everything from not cheating on the test to giving my boss an honest day's work, uh, to filling out those expense reports accurately, to sleeping in the right bed, to being speaking out for marginalized people, for standing for Christ in a, in a hostile world. Some of our greatest opportunities come at the times when the drumbeat seems to be the same and the bands are going the same song and they're playing the same beat and we can march along. And, 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 and it's very hard to understand and to discern when the drumbeats begin to separate and, and that, other, that other rhythm starts and we have a call to go down there. And what our, what our, our temptation is, is, no, if I, can, if I can just stay a little bit longer in this one, I know it's going off, but if I can stay a little bit longer in this one, then, then I can make a difference and bring everybody over to there. The problem is, and we've seen this so many times in our politicians, is I've made so many compromises by the time I get down there that nobody will listen to what I say about this other one, and I've lost my opportunity. I walk down this road with other friends, and, and I refuse to go off to the side because I, I think that it's, it's no big deal. It's only, I mean, it's only the food I eat. What's the difference? Come on. But it's awfully hard to turn back when you get down there very far. And, and your friends in the, in the Christian community are over here and they're having a hard time. And, and, the, and the further you go down with the main beat of the drummer and you, you avoid the Christian drum beat, the harder it is to get back to where you started. Do you know what I mean? In fact, here's how I put it. The longer we march to the beat of the wrong drummer, the harder it gets to avoid disaster or get back to where we started. I have seen that so many times, but one of the times I've seen that it was a few years ago when Ilona and I went down to Foley Square to the federal courthouse with a couple that used to be a part of Millington Baptist, our church. And we were there because he, uh, he had been cooking the books in a large corporation. He did really well. We used to ride motorcycles together. We had a great time. They were great friends as well as a part of our church. Then they moved, and so we didn't see them as much anymore. But he had been cooking the books, and he knew it was wrong. But it was hard to stop. You know, he was falsifying documents because he was under, under the pressure of this charismatic CEO. And, and he just 
He didn't think it made a big difference. It didn't get him any personal advantage. I mean, he didn't get more money as a result of cooking the books. He, he kept his job, which was really what he was afraid of losing. He kept the security that his job gave him, and he just lived it out. Because it's hard. Once you, you know, once you don't choose to go in the drumbeat that goes off to the side, the, the drumbeat of God, it's hard to get back to where you were because you're so far down the road. What do I do now? Well, he had to stop when the DA knocked at his, at his door. The district attorney said, this is what you've been doing, this is what you've been doing, this is what you've been doing. And, and he struggled with it for, for some time until he finally decided, I've got to get the other drumbeat. I, I, I can't do this any longer. I'm a Christian, and if I go to jail, I go to jail. If I lose my job, I lose my job, but I can't do this anymore. But it was extremely difficult. So we sat there uh, those three or four days in Foley Square in the, Supreme, in the courthouse, and, and he gave his testimony for the prosecution. And he gave his testimony with no guarantee that it, they would go light on him. He had no idea. So this wasn't a bargain. This was just, he decided to do what's right. So he gave his testimony after those days. And he walked away from the courthouse once he was done not knowing what was going to happen. Well, he was given probation. And if I remember correctly, he had to wear the ankle bracelet. What a, what a humiliating time. What an embarrassing time. Well, thank God he didn't have to go to jail. But that's hard, you know. It's hard to get back where you, where you want to be or where you started out once you start going down the wrong road. That's why it's so, so incredibly important to be able to be fine-tuned to the drumbeat of God because the drumbeat of the world is surely in, in junior high school is going to take you down the wrong road. <laughs> it really is. The drumbeat of the world in high school is going to take you down the road. And, and once you start going down the road, and I did this, I know, in high school, I started going down the wrong road and it took me about five years before I, I heard the drumbeat of God. I wasn't a Christian. But I went down the wrong road for some time, and I, I paid the price even today for the decisions I made back then. It's hard to go back. In fact, let me put it another way. Oh, no, let me, let me take one more minute before I, can, before I do that. Um, somewhere along the line, you and I have to make the decision that those... Christians in Soviet Union and those Christians in North Korea make, and that is, okay, uh, if, if God comes and rescues me, thank God. If God doesn't come and rescue me, I'm still following that drumbeat. And the reason why I think that's so important is because three of these guys are noted later in chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to King Nebuchadnezzar. They're standing before the king now because they wouldn't worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar, and so they're hauled before the king in judgment. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And get this one, verse 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. These guys are 15 years old, let's assume. 16, 13, I don't know, young. They're given this incredible opportunity. They start marching down that road and they want it. They really want it because they have every reason to go for it and good things will happen if they, if they get it. 
But then they hear the different drumbeat. Then you hear the different drumbeat. And you have to make a decision. Will I go with what the world wants me to do? Or will I go with the drumbeat of the living God who raised Jesus from the dead? And even if he doesn't rescue me from whatever the bad effects of that choice are, I will still go with the drumbeat of the living God because I belong to him. Let me give you one more statement to close. The longer we march to the beat of the right drummer, the easier it gets to stay on track and stay where we started. You're in junior high? Please listen. Please listen. If you stay on the track of Jesus now, you're going to have it a lot easier when you get to high school and college and career. If you decide that you're going to leave the way of Jesus off to the side and go where your friends are going, or go where the world tells you you have to go, <clears throat> it's going to be awfully hard to get back there. You can do it, no doubt about it. I, I got there. My friend got there. I, I, know it's, I, know it's, I, I know it can be done, but boy, it's hard. What I would plead with you to do, a college student, businessman, doctor, wife, husband, listen for the drumbeat of God, and with all your heart resolve, I'm going to follow that drumbeat, regardless of the cost. Yes? Yeah. Let's pray. It's really serious, Lord. It's just no laughing matter. I've seen it go both ways. I've seen, Lord, men and women choose to follow the drumbeat of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've seen them suffer for it, no doubt about it. I wouldn't hide that. But I've seen a joy in their lives and a meaning and a purpose in their lives that lasts all the way into eternity and will last forever. And I've seen the other way too, Lord. Men and women choose to take the drumbeat of the world, their friends around them, their companions, their colleagues, and then pay the price, Lord, now and in eternity because of the choice they make at that juncture. Sharpen our hearing, embolden our hearts, cause us to declare our love for Jesus Christ in every setting and our willingness and desire to follow after him. And teach us today, Lord, to make the hard choices. We thank you that you will be with us every step of the way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, friends.